Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pastor Plex Podcast. I am Joni Scott, back again, and here with me, I have the one and only Chris Pleck and Paul. Hey, glad to be here. As he always is. We have two questions from this past Sunday regarding uh, the Capitol campaign and our Revive the Stone series we're going through right now, so we're just going to jump right in. Question number one is, why do you think the people responded in joy to hearing God's law, yet today many of us respond in dread to hearing a bunch of shalls and shall nots? I think this is a good question. I think one of the things that is really important to remember is that for many of these people, they had never heard God's law read ever. Mm-hmm. And so for some of us, I think going back to when we first heard uh, the word of God, it, there is great joy in it. Do you remember when you were first saved or first got excited about understanding and hearing the word of God? I think that's what yeah. they're experiencing. And specifically in this case, what, what made them really excited was the Feast of Booths had not been adhered to or have not been celebrated since the time of Joshua. Like nobody had celebrated. How is that even possible? Because it's such a normal thing, even in the New Testament. And so really for about a thousand years, it hadn't been celebrated. And so here they, here they are um, bringing this up and they're for the first time since the wilderness experience are fulfilling what God had commanded them in the wilderness. So there's, I think there's a real sense of joy that we get to be the people of Israel who fulfill what God called us to do, to remember God's faithfulness to his people in the midst of a really trying time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that would be my specific answer to that. And I think it's important. That's why one of the things that we talked about um, this past Sunday is when we do the Lord's Supper, when we experience the Lord's Supper and we confess our sins to God and then we take communion and we uh, really have a moment of obedience to Jesus where we are uh, taking the the bread, which symbolically is his body, drinking the wine, which is symbolically Jesus's blood. And then we're, we're remembering in an intimate moment what Jesus has done for us, and that becomes powerful. And I think that's why ritual was created. And I think what happens with us, ritual becomes the religion mm-hmm. as opposed to ritual accentuating a relationship with Jesus. Right. Uh, the way that we grew up, um, communion was taken... I recall like two or three times a year for their for the sake of just keeping it very special. And um, we've come to the other side of like, it's still just as special, but we take it so more often, so much more often, and we're reminded of it that much more often. And right. it's really and, awesome. And, and if, it, if it's just a throwaway, then you're missing it. But if you explain it every time, especially if you remember there, there are non-Christians in the room hearing what communion or Lord's Supper is for the very first time, mm-hmm. that's very powerful. I think it almost, and that is a way of accepting Christ, is if you, the the first act of your obedience to Jesus is taking communion or the Lord's Supper. Wow, what what an incredible experience. I agree. Moving on to a related question Mm -hmm. in regards um, to obeying and giving. Um, This is a longer question with some context, so hang in with me for just a minute. The question starts of, do you think it's possible for a church to grow past a certain size and remain true to the mission of serving Christ? All right, so that's a great question, and I think one that really, um, in our culture, that's sort of kind of pressing against uh, um, mega churches. So, um, what's always hard about this is there's always a bias. There's always like when uh, this is a loaded question because it comes with like, aren't mega churches really sinful? 
Um, and I don't know <laughs> if that's that's really what the person's getting at, but it would, it, that's what it, I feel like. And as a person who really dedicated my life at a mega church, who really experienced the love of Jesus in a mega church, um, I always come to the defense of mega churches, uh, even though we're not one. <clears throat> uh, and and because the the mega church has a lot of resources to help out smaller churches, like our church they has do. been helped out by mega churches. Our church was planted by a mega church, and so when you when you remember that that churches of all sizes meet different needs of different people. So at a mega church, you can have ministries that are very specific and very niche, and at a smaller church, you can get a more of a holistic family kind of vibe. But they're not going to be able to minister to the vast majority of people. Mm-hmm. You just can't. And so um, now, does that mean that that there that there's a limitation in both? Sure, yeah. sure. There's a limitation. I think you know what you gain in intimacy with a smaller church, you lose in resource and ability to make a difference. And what you gain in ability to launch globally or launch throughout the city an influential movement, uh, you might lose a little bit of that intimacy. But the primary mission is always to put Jesus first. And any make this is where, as a mega church person, I don't think people just sit around going like, "How can we appease the crowd?" I, I mean, maybe they do. Maybe, maybe. I, again, I, since I'm not a mega church pastor, I, I'm not speaking um, that language. But I don't think people are going like, "What will put the most butts in seats this week? What will get um, us to be famous? What will get us to be, you know, fill in the blank that's not about Jesus?" I don't, I don't think that's what people think. And the reason why I know that is because that's not what the apostles thought when they had 3,000 people come to Christ and they 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 divided up the people. They had everyone meeting in their homes. They they made a real um, concerted effort to help people wrap their head around what Jesus called them to do and be. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's exactly where, um, y- y- and no matter how big a church gets, it still has smallness to it. Uh, no matter how big a church gets, it still has the intimacy of how many people you can shove in a house. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> you, you just, and so, as much as you want to say the large, so what you're saying is large gatherings are bad. I just, I just have a hard time with that. Or that, um, if I don't know the preaching pastor personally, then I, um, am not really going to follow Jesus. That says more about the heart of the person that has that issue than it does about the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just, I'm just really cautious about bashing mega churches. Uh, I'm not saying that mega churches have made mistakes. I'm not saying that small churches have made mistakes. I just get real, like I want to lift up the whole body of Christ. And I feel like the whole body of Christ needs large churches, needs smaller churches. Everybody has a place at the table. Absolutely. The follow-up question is that is um, how do you plan to ensure with the capital campaign that we at Wells Branch remain focused on Christ, not just building and increasing our numbers. Yeah, I guess the question would be like, how big is too big? Now, standard mega churches, uh, at least the last F and I saw, was those churches that were over two thousand or more. So uh, for us, it, for us to do two thousand with our new building, we'd have to have four services. And not that I'm not for doing four services. Uh, it's just that why not train somebody else to preach? Send them to a school. And then do another church, another plant, church plant or another campus. Yeah. Like I'm not against campuses, and so I, I feel like you can still have a um, a unified central church model with a campus preacher um, that's still live preaching, live uh, 
uh, worship or worship, I, I, I live singing and music. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and so I feel like that's totally okay. I, I think that's what where a lot of people wrestle and struggle is they don't understand how hard it is, is to launch a church plant and how hard it is to get things off the ground. Whereas the reason why multi-site took off is that you had relatively the same experience at the primary church that you did at the um, smaller church just down the road mm-hmm. with a campus with a campus model, and so you can go. Well, doesn't that just um, go to people's preferences? I guess, but if somebody is ju- they they feel like just as connected because the church feels the same uh, as though. I mean, because isn't it true that you feel most comfortable at a church that feels like the church you grew up in? Yep. And so if you grow up. And then now you go to a different location, but you hear the same voice of the pastor that's just as comforting as it always was. Uh, you have the same type of children's ministry environment that you grew up in, or it's the same sort of style. Then there's going to be a sense of preference that, that kind of fits your, the model. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that that's the right answer, but I'm not saying it. I'm saying it's not wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. like, how can you go like, how's that not biblical? And if you were to go, did the church in Corinth look that much different than the, the church of Ephesus? It had the same planting pastor. It just was, you know, a, a lot further away than our standard uh, multi-site campus campuses. <laughs> so I, I just, this is where I, I guess I have a problem when people sort of, you know, they say it can't be done. You can't trust Jesus and you can't worship God. I think it's the same Holy Spirit that convicts people. Um, now, I do think to that nature, we're going to always fight to stay small in the sense that we're going to be planting churches. And at a certain point, when it, after you reach 500 or so, 500 to 1,000, I think it's a great time to plant a church. Mm-hmm. And so, you could, you know, where you don't take sustainable losses when you say six, when you send 10% of the church away uh, because you want to plant more churches and you want to give them vision and grow and, and or a campus, whatever. I, I think that's a great model. Uh, again, it's, there's, it's not, is that a biblical model? I don't know. I guess not any more than growing the church to several thousand and having a big um, monstrous stadium size church. I, I, there is just no biblical model. People, When people give to that, they're not giving towards uh, a pastor to make that pastor more famous. They're giving towards um, the, the, the expansion of God's kingdom mm-hmm. um, through the work of a gifted person. And that's why you, you know, a lot of people funded the ministry of Paul the Apostle. A lot of people funded the ministry of Peter. A lot of people funded the ministry of all those New Testament people. And they did it with joy because they knew the, the, the kingdom of God was moving forward. So that is, that is uh, your preferences on like mega churches and stuff like that. Do you have a plan of like inch, what is like your personal plan of like making sure this stays like f- Christ focused and like maybe a church wide yeah, push I, to make sure this is yeah, uh, Christ centered? I, I feel like the Christ centered, I, I think people are putting, I, I, I get scared, or scared is that the right word? I get nervous when people ca- start calling this my vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't my vision. This isn't like the, the I think the, the kind of the Bill Hybels model, Will Creek model, is that the lead pastor cast a vision for the church. Um, that is that he came up with in, the, in his own time with God. And I think for our church, it's a little different. We have an elder vision. Mm-hmm. Our elders who are all, we all sit in the room and we debate stuff, talk about stuff, talk about how God is speaking to us. And God brings us stuff through me a lot. But I run all that through the elder board uh, that aren't paid, that aren't you know looking to 
you know, I, not that I am either. They aren't looking to be famous for being an elder, and they roll off. They're they're they have terms, and so when you when you realize that that the vision of the church isn't from a single person, it's from a plurality, that makes it really hard to make it about one person. And so yeah. you know, we don't have the you know Pastor Pleck. Um, t-shirts and the pastor plec shoes and the pastor <laughs> plec like belts i mean i i mean i don't know someone would buy it maybe somebody would buy it i don't know maybe <laughs> maybe i i think i don't think too highly enough of myself in, in that regard i just don't i just don't think we're that church I don't, no. I don't think that i'm and i think might also be i'm just not gifted in that way and so that's just a natural like i don't have enough charisma to get uh, a mega church to happen um, if I did, it would have already happened. So, you know, so I think the limitations of my own leadership and my own personal preaching gifting and my mm -hmm. own leadership gifting have limited our church for forever. And so uh, that means it will probably never be a um, mega church. And I'm, I'm totally okay with that. In fact, I mm -hmm. celebrate the, the gifting God has given me and I'm excited to be the pastor that God has made me. And I, I still want to answer all these questions and love people right where they're at and address the hard issues and tackle those. And maybe, maybe it is easier for me since there isn't a swarms and thousands of downloads every day of people listening right. to the podcast going like, <laughs> what is pastor Pleck going to say today? And I'm just going to say, you know, whatever the Lord has led me to say to keep our, ourselves Christ centric and to push the gospel forward. There we go. Any final thoughts before we round this one out? Yeah. I, I think one of the things about the, a capital campaign is if it's not causing you to worship, then you're, I hate to say this, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Everything we do should be worship. And then giving is a part of worship and the building is a byproduct of our worship. If we miss that, and we think it's about the building and not our worship or expanding the reach of God's kingdom or being missional with a uh, brick and mortar and a parking lot, then we miss out on what God actually has for us. And so I guess at some point you go up to this point, if you've seen us be missional and love God and love people and make disciples, then ultimately you got to look at that and go, well, why would they change? If you know what got you here is being faithful to Christ and God's word and having his blessing, then what's going to take you to the next you know, level? I don't know if there's no, another level to the next growth in size is probably the same methodology. And if there's a different methodology, I don't know what it is anyway. So I think, um, couldn't do it. If you yeah. Know I, it. I guess I think that's the, the point. I guess, you know, I, I feel like we look at a lot of churches and we think that every church is a mega church and it's just not true. Most churches are smaller and mid-sized churches. Mm -hmm. And so, although we have models to follow of large churches of how they did it, but God worked in differently in each one of those pastors and each one of those churches and their reach are defined by what the Lord has for them. And I just want to be faithful that God has given me. Uh, and my role as an elder, as being a part of plurality of, el plurality of elders is to give the vision that God has given our elders and be unapologetic about it. And then, um, preach the gospel as best I can and to, to be faithful to the mission that God's given me. And I think that's, if you can just see that, like what has God given you this whole year, our church has um, made the focus of the year to ask the question, what's my calling? Mm -hmm. So we should all be asking, what's my calling in this capital campaign? What's my calling in the way I serve church? What's my calling? Am I called to sit at home, kick my feet up and watch uh, church from, to come from my own couch or is my calling to be a part of a local body of believers and worship shoulder to shoulder with people uh and again it, 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 
literally asking the Lord, what's my calling? Because if you're like, I want to stay home to protect the world from COVID and I feel like that's my calling, then you need to live that out. But if you feel like your calling from God is to be amongst the believers and, and stand with the body of Christ, I think that's also uh, important. I think that, that people are called differently, uniquely. And I think we sometimes miss out on that because we sort of view my, um, the stuff that's not written in the Bible as we can take that as being like orthodox for the rest of the world. And so there are some things that are orthodox, like Jesus is the only way to heaven, that man is a sinner and we, and apart from Christ cannot save himself. And so Jesus came, died on the cross for the sin of man and that to, and then rose from the dead. And that for each individual to come to faith in Christ is the way that every person is saved. And so there is salvation in no one else. Uh, it doesn't happen by any other way. And so that becomes very, um, that's a very orthodox, very dogmatic view, and I, one that I would sort of, that's the sword I would die on, so to speak. Mm. But the reality is, I think there's a lot of things that aren't, that are so open-handed, but we've made them close-handed because of opinions we have, because of experiences we had, things we've seen, traumatic hurts and wounds from church hurt or whatever, and we look back and we say, it must have been that mega church. It must mm-hmm. have been that that pastor who was leading a church of 10,000 or leading a church of however many thousand clearly couldn't have... Uh, been following Jesus. He was totally just following the mob. And I think that's just, that is, that is such a judgment of that. We don't know. And, and this is a person that someone who asked that would probably in the same, I don't know, vein or same sort of uh, experience would say, don't judge me. You don't know me. Well, then how can you do that to somebody else who's doing the best they can serving God? Now, again, are people sinful and broken? I'm sinful and broken. So therefore, no matter what size your church is, you're always going to experience, uh, you know, sin. And this is where first John one eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. (laughs) So if you are saying that you are perfect, then you are lying. You're self deceived. Someone should have told me that verse in high school. That'd been great. <laughs> oh, goodness. Because most of us say, I'm not that bad. Yeah. And and I think that's self-deception. You are that bad, but the good news is God, God is, is that, that good. good. Yeah. I've been around here for a little while. I could, like, repeat that verbatim. You know, I'm Look really at proud me. of you. Look at you, Joni. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, Joni, if, you hadn't, if, if you're listening to the podcast and you have not been out to the outside service and listened to Joni Scott lead worship, you are missing out. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was one we've done it once so far and we will do it again and we'll let you know when that's going to be right, it was fun yeah. it's been a while since i've led so i was grateful for the opportunity that was almost forced upon me um <laughs> to go and do but still very <laughs> grateful and enjoyed the experience and hope to see everyone out there again soon can't wait all right folks that is all we have for today thanks for listening with us and we will see you next week